At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. Dan Good joins us on Sports Byline. He's a seasoned and respected book writer, journalist, and editor working with the New York Daily News and the New York Post, and he's also worked for NBC and ABC News. Dan has written a very interesting book I want to recommend to you. It's called Playing Through the Pain, Ken Caminetti and the Steroids Confession that Changed Baseball Forever. Good seeks to make sense of National League MVP Ken Caminetti's fascinating but troubled life. Dan, let's start with Caminetti's baseball career. Tell those who may not be aware of it who he was as a baseball player. Ken Caminetti was a great defensive third baseman who also had switch hit power. Uh, he was great at diving stops. He had a cannon for an arm. He could rifle the ball across the diamond. Uh, he was a gold glove caliber third baseman from the time he reached the major leagues in 1987. He actually did win three gold gloves. Uh, he was a three-time All-Star. He was the 1996 National League MVP for the Padres. Uh, that was the height of his career. And he helped that team reach the World Series in 1998. And, you know, more than that, he was obviously a great ball player. And, you know, the reason that his name pops up uh, the way it does today is, you know, after his career ended in 2002, he came forward to Sports Illustrated to talk about his own steroid use. And that voluntary admission really, you know, changed the game and, and forced baseball to confront this uh, this open secret that had been creeping into the game further and further over the years. So uh, he had a deep impact in the game and uh, was widely respected as a competitor and as a, as a player. What about the personal side? I know he grew up here in the San Francisco Bay Area. What were the influences there? Yeah, he grew up in, uh, in San Jose, and he grew up in an athletic family. Uh, he had an older brother, Glenn, who certainly, you know, inspired him. Uh, Ken 
Ken was always kind of a small kid growing up, uh, which is funny because you see pictures of him as a major leaguer, especially during the height of his career. And he's this hulking presence, this uh, threatening, you know, imposing type of player. But he was he was really kind of a teddy bear growing up and a, a small kid, a slight kid. You know, he's muscular and fit, but he was kind of thin. Um, you know, he grew up um, playing baseball, football, basketball. He loved playing sports. Uh, his dad, Lee, was also a very talented baseball player. As a high school player, he ended up not pursuing a pro career. Um, but, you know, he grew up in the Bay Area, and um, he was just always playing. He was always playing sports. And, you know, he was really trying to, uh, you know, to tag along with his brother, to live up to his brother's standards. And he was always playing against those older kids. You know, and I think that really helped to, foster that competitive spirit in him and you know as that little kid he's trying to you know play up to older bigger competition and i think that suited him well as he you know got to lee high school and and certainly uh going from there dan when you take a look at uh, ken caminetti and and his life in its entirety is there a dichotomy here in what way in the way that he was an outstanding baseball player but a troubled person yeah, it's, it's it's really difficult to to dive into that and to make sense of that. Um, you know, I ended up talking to people who went to rehab with him and also his attorney who was representing him near the end of his life. And his attorney told me, it was one of the early interviews I did, and his attorney told me that he had been um, using drugs and alcohol to quell this inner drama, this inner trauma that he had been facing, that, uh, you know, his addictions were fueled by this inner trauma that he suffered as a kid. And when I talked to uh, people who went to rehab with him, uh, they told me that he had talked about being sexually abused as a child um, right around his middle school years. And it was tragic to recognize that and tragic to recognize that those addictions kind of came out of that. It was a byproduct of that. And, um, you know, he started drinking in middle school, you know, and, and the thing about growing up in the San Jose area at the time was drugs and alcohol were kind of all around. I mean, his friends and he would, you know, shoulder tap uh, somebody at 7-Eleven and get beer from them, you know, and um, drugs were just kind of floating freely. So these things were always around. Not that he was always using them. He wasn't really big into drugs in high school. Those picked up more later, you know, college and then his adult years. But uh, those things were always floating around and they were always kind of in the background of his life. And, um, you know, I think there wasn't a big stigma. You know, you look at um, the drugs he was taking and the drugs he would take later as a major league player. There wasn't a stigma around him taking things because he was always around people who were taking things, those things or other things. So there wasn't a big stigma around um, substance abuse or drugs or alcohol. And I think when he became a major leaguer, it, it fed into those sensibilities for him because, you know, as a major leaguer, you're kind of taught, uh, you know, if you go 0 for 4, you can go, you know, drink it off. And if you went 4 for 4, go party and drink it off. You know, and I think it's that up and down, that traveling nature. Uh, it's a really tough career to have if you're trying to stay on the right path. And uh, he really struggled with that because, you know, it would be that up and down cycle from game to game. Um, you know, when he reached the major leagues, there was even, um, you know, with some of the older players on his team, 
uh, Greenies amphetamines were just kind of floating around, and you know they were giving them out in the clubhouse just as kind of a pick me up. This was something to take, you know, maybe after a night game. And then leading into a day game, you, you take it that morning to, to pick yourself up off the ground, you know, and, and it became, it went from this sometimes thing to an everyday thing for him because he felt like he could, you know, help his team and do the best he could be by taking these drugs. But then you have to come down from that. So then you drink further. And it's just this endless cycle that he was putting himself through. You're a well-respected writer and journalist. And I'm wondering, what was it that attracted you to this story? I always appreciated him as a player, and after his death, I was really moved by it. It just it personally moved me, and I never met him. I wish I had, obviously, but I never met him. You know, I got autographs from a lot of um, growing up in the 1990s. You know, I got a lot of autographs from players who played with Ken, like Jeff Bagwell, Greg Vaughn, and others, uh, and I always appreciated that, but... Um, I loved his style of play, his all-out style, and when he passed away, it really moved me. And in the years I had, as I entered my journalism career, I really just felt like this guy's story needed to be told, and I was really waiting to see if a book would come out. I felt like somebody would write a book about him, because there's so much there, and no one did. And by 2012, I was working overnights at the New York Post. I was the overnight homepage editor. So I had all this time on my hands. I had nothing to do during the day. And I just decided, you know what, I think it'd be interesting to start researching Ken Caminiti's life. And at the time, I didn't really fully trust that I would be the one to write it. I always felt like some beat writer or somebody else who was closer to him would decide to write a book, and then that would be it. And no one ever did. And uh, about a year later, I started interviewing people for the first time. And it just picked up from there. I, I didn't really know where it was going to go when I started, and then um, here we find ourselves. But it's been it's been a really interesting journey to track people down from his life and and make sense of uh, a difficult, interesting, uh, troubling, uh, fascinating life. You know, it's interesting. I met him a number of times, and I did not know him personally. But I read people pretty well. I've been around a long time, and. I've been given a great instinct on people. And the thing I came away with about Ken was the dichotomy of who he was as a ball player and who he was as a person. He didn't strike me as the type of person that would be uh, drawn to something like this. But then when I thought about the atmosphere in professional sports slash baseball, I remember interviewing a well-known New York Yankee uh, ball player who talked about, actually he was a Met, but actually talked about the fact that he was a teenager, 19 years old, and when he would go on the road trips, players would be in the back end of the baseball of the uh, airplane, and um, there was cocaine that was passed about and everything, and I thought, he strikes me as the type that could be in an atmosphere that could be very dangerous for him. Yeah, yeah. He was an incorrigible guy. He was he was a giver. He was a giver of his time. He was a giver of his effort. He was a giver of... Um, you know, himself. And uh, exactly, I think he was incorrigible. And the thing that's tough about the baseball atmosphere is he would have times where he would be surrounded by really great upstanding players who had his accountability and, you know, his, his sobriety in mind that, that would really go out of their way to help him and keep him on track. And then these players would get traded away or Ken would get traded or he'd find himself on a different team. The roster is always moving around and it's really tough to build 
uh, stability that way. So you might have one month, you might have, you know, a really good set of guys around him who can, you know, help to um, keep him, you know, on track. And then the next month you might bring in somebody who's giving him drugs and it's, it's that balance. And it's really tough to, to, to deal with that. And, you know, he, he really was so giving him of himself. And uh, sometimes he had to put himself first more than he did. Yeah, that's a good read on your part. We're talking with Dan Good. Again, he has an outstanding book that we're going to make the book of the month on the Sports Byline USA Book Corner. And I want you to check it out. It's called Playing Through the Pain, Ken Caminetti and the Steroids Confession That Changed Baseball Forever. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The Nick's anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nick's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Dan Good is with us, and we're talking about his book. Again, I want to recommend it to you, Playing Through the Pain, Ken Caminetti and the Steroids Confession That Changed Baseball Forever. Talk to me a little bit about baseball at the period of time that we're talking about, that steroid era. It's such a fascinating time in baseball history because you have the Bash brothers in the late 1980s, and they were very open, you know, obviously not talking about using steroids, but they were just kind of a, a, a walking advertisement for them. And by the time the strike happened in 1994, steroids were here and there. They weren't really all over the game, uh, but they were, there were people on, you know, maybe a couple of people on each team who were using. And by this time the strike happened and then 1995, you know, with the players locked out from uh, using facilities, from working out with team trainers, all those sorts of things, they pursued their other options. They pursued people in their networks, friends, relatives. And through those connections, they got connected to the weightlifting culture that was really picking up then. And that weightlifting culture was very pro-steroids and interested in steroids. And it really just kind of paired together. And, and that's kind of, you know, what happened in Ken's case in a way. I mean, he really started lifting and working out uh after he went to rehab for the first time in 1993, he devoted himself to weightlifting. And then as that strike season ends, 
he has all this time. You know, he's not playing anymore. He's working on his cars. He's at home. He's working out at the gym. You know, so he's starting to take supplements here and there. And then by 1995, uh, the steroid use picks up. Um, and that's kind of, when you look at baseball as a whole, that's really kind of how it picked up for a lot of guys. And it would be that whisper network of one person started using it and it worked out for them. So they'd start, you know, either talking to the friends about it or people would be asking them about it. And then, you know, these players would refer uh, other players to the people that they were working with. And it just became this whole big chain. And, you know, I don't know if it, that was a byproduct of, you know, the players uh, gelling together in the wake of the strike. Um, but I definitely think it helped. You know, you had guys in different teams helping each other. And that's what's interesting in Ken's case is, you know, it wasn't just something he was interested in helping his teammates with. It was everybody. If any player came up to him, you know, he'd refer them to his friend and uh, they would they would help a player out. But it just, it's this collegial nature going on. It was everywhere in the game. And the really difficult thing was they weren't testing for anything back then. So and that was a byproduct partially of the strength of the Players Association. Um, they weren't budging on that front at all. And, you know, you had, um, it was just, it was kind of everywhere and players were forced to make this decision for themselves. Tell me if you think I'm, I'm wrong about this, but I, um, I had a friend of mine who was a major league catcher and we were at the swimming pool, uh, after a game that he had played in down in Arizona. And I was just, you know, talking to him and he said, you know, Ron, when it comes to this, he said, my organization said they wanted me to put on 25 pounds (laughs) more muscle. And he said that there was only one way to do that. And we all knew what that was. So I always felt that Major League Baseball was a conduit for the problem that happened. And they kind of turned a blind eye to what was happening. They knew what was happening. I mean, I sit here in San Francisco. I know Jose Canseco. I know others, you know. uh, And I just watched it all happen. And I felt Major League Baseball was just as bad as the players that were doing it. They were. You know, the, the owners were happy at people returning fans returning to the games, you know, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run uh, back and forth in 1998. That was fantastic. It was so much fun to watch. It was great. Uh, You see all these records falling, Barry Bonds in 2001. It was fantastic. There were so many people that benefited, you know, and I don't think it's all the players' fault. Like, obviously, the players made these decisions for themselves. The owners benefited. The league benefited. You know, it was within everybody's best interest not to say anything about this. And um, and they didn't. And it was just this, you know, oh, you know, we'll kind of hint at it. Occasionally, a reporter would come out with a story. You know, you had a couple players here and there who were not using steroids who were complaining about it, but those voices were being drowned out by all the home runs and all the fun everybody was having, and it just got erased. And it's it's a shame for the clean players to have to confront that reality of, you know, you're liable to lose your job, lose your contract, lose your opportunities because you're not taking this. And you're exactly right. I mean, I've heard a couple stories like that where, you know, teams were all but encouraging players to use and, uh, no one with the teams are being held accountable. It's just the players, whether they decided to or not. I was very interested in one of Ken's comments. He said, I've made a ton of mistakes. I don't think using steroids is one of them. I kind of thought about that for a moment, then shook my head. Can you explain it a little bit further? Yeah, it's such an interesting quote. And I really do think it speaks to all of the struggles he's faced, um, you know, all the drugs he's taken, 
all the problems he had. You know, his marriage was really in a bad place at that point. He ended up getting divorced. You know, I think he was disappointed about that. Um, you know, I, I think he realized that he had made a lot of mistakes in life. And um, I, it's notable for him to say that he doesn't think steroids is one of them because it really does stand out. You know, if he had come out and said, I really regret using steroids, it would have been a different connotation. I think the fact that he said, I don't regret using steroids really says something. And I think he meant it. I, I, I do think he meant it. I don't think he was saying that to say it. I, I do think he didn't carry a regret from that because there were so many other things he'd done wrong or felt like he did wrong. Tell me a little bit about uh, October 5th, 2004, five days prior to his death. Yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated to piece that all together um, because, you know, there were so many opportunities for him, um, you know, in terms of what was going to be next for him. But, you know, he ends up, he ends up deciding that I'm going to plead guilty, that I'm going to move forward with my life. This is his court appearance uh, days before his death. You know, and, and he could have decided to keep fighting this charge against him, but he decided to plead guilty to this felony count, and no one wanted him to because basically if you plead guilty to this felony count then you get arrested again, you know, it's this escalating situation. And he could have gotten his record cleared, and he didn't want to do that. He was tired of fighting. He was tired of these monthly drug tests he was taking where he would – you know, be clean for six months and then test uh, test positive and end up behind bars again. You know, he was tired of being told who he could or couldn't hang out with. Uh, the, the restrictions and limitations on his life were really getting to him, and I think he was just tired of it all. So he decides to plead guilty. And, you know, then he had a couple options for himself. You know, people wanted him to go to Montana to work on the land. People wanted him to go to Mississippi for an intensive re uh, treatment program. Um, other people were hoping he would go to maybe California where he had friends and supporters, you know, maybe some accountability structures that he could have set up for himself. And he decides instead that he's going to go to Tampa to go to New York to meet up with his uh, on and off girlfriend's son who had been getting into trouble and speak some sense into him. And, you know, I, I, I think that that was part of it. Uh, he certainly was, as I said before, he was really giving him of, of himself, and he did want to help other people. But I really think he just wanted to disappear and escape. I think he wanted to just get away from it all and not be bothered. And I think he thought that this would be a place where he would not be bothered. And it's just tragic. Uh, it's tragic to look at, you know, his final days, his final hours, um, you know, overdosing and dying in the Hunts Point section of the Bronx in New York City. It just, it's such a jarring departure from the life he lived you know you look at the fact that you know years earlier he's playing in the world series against the yankees and you know now he's dying of a drug overdose in new york city you know and then it's this surprising thing for everybody who's finding out about it because so many people close to him were like no he's not in new york what are you talking about like no one believed it like it was one of those things where you couldn't believe it because it didn't make any sense and then the horrid horrible details start to pour out and it just it's devastating it's devastating to see you know the end that final chapter for him and all you wanted was that bounce back you wanted you know something good happening you wanted that final you know victory you wanted uh redemption for him and he didn't get that redemption arc and it, it, it's really troubling we only have 45 seconds left but what will be his legacy 
I think his legacy is trying to do the right thing. I think his legacy is being the ultimate competitor, the ultimate player. Um, I think his legacy is um, an opportunity for us to, you know, to better consider how we treat people and look down at people when they're struggling and the fact that we really don't know what people are going through in their personal life. We don't know what is going on inside of them. And, you know, I just think it gives us a chance to, to be more compassionate about the people around us. Well, congratulations on the book, uh, Dan. It's an outstanding uh, writing, and I hope people will check it out. You're welcome here anytime, so come back and join us on Sports Byline. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Again, Dan Good with us. Check this book out. It's a good, good read. I think you'll enjoy it. Playing Through the Pain, Ken Caminiti and the Steroids Confession that changed baseball forever. And, of course, he was the third baseman who spent 15 years uh, with the Astros, San Diego, Rangers, and Atlanta. And he was the National League's most valuable player with San Diego, a member of the Padres Hall of Fame as well. But his life and his career had ended a little bit earlier, but he died of a cocaine and heroin overdose. I'm Ron Barr. We continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.